0: Welcome. Welcome. Hey, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, would you grab it and open it up? If you don't, there's some on the ends of your rows. If you're sitting on the end of the row, just pick up both copies or all the copies and just see if anybody wants it. We're actually going to be spending a lot of time in the Word of God today um, at Sedaris. We center everything Upon Christ, of course, and believing that Christ is the Word of God as well as this book that is all about Him. So, um, we just came out of a four week mini series on faith and science, and you can catch up on that online. Thanks uh, for sticking with us through that. Um, but now we're back into uh, how we like to, which is starting from the text and, and, and working forward uh, from there. So, super excited. Again, my name is Dave, one of the pastors here at Sederis welcome to the fall. Did you notice those first two songs? Did you, did you see a theme? Did you hear a theme that might be related to this time of year? Did you hear it? Throw it out if you, if you sensed a theme. Everything has meaning at Sedaris. There's always something behind it. Farming, who said that? The harvest, the harvest, and, and that's what we're celebrating here, both the harvest of, of a year gone by and then looking forward, planting the seeds for what God's going to do in this new year. And you gotta be patient. You can't be in a hurry. Uh, God, God doesn't work in a hurry, okay? God, God works in our patience as we wait and long suffer and lament and pray for and beg and work for the kingdom of God to come. And He does the work, He brings it to life, and we just get to be a part of seeing what He's doing. Isn't that good? So, welcome to, you call this Harvest Sunday at Sidereus, even though we don't, most of us farm. Um, We have to understand, that is, to understand scripture, you have to understand an agricultural society. So, welcome to Harvest Sunday, and uh, today we start a brand new series, and uh, let me just give you a little introduction to this, Uh, and the latest Pew Research poll, Seattle... Amongst all the major metropolitan areas, and actually the metropolitan area includes in, this, in, in the Pew Research study, Tacoma, Renton, Bellevue, Everett, and Kent, which historically are much more religious areas, but Seattle still remained the number one highest percentage of people who said that religion was not important at all. Number one. Number one. It was second only to San Francisco by 1%, of adults who said that they never attend a religious service in a given year. Fascinating. Again, that includes some some more religious areas of the metroplex, and so Seattle would even be off the charts there. But that doesn't mean, if you've lived in this city any time, that Seattle is not spiritual. Seattle's a very spiritual city. You might consider yourself a spiritual person, but not a religious person, and so that begs the question, what's the difference between just being spiritual and being a Christian? And we're going to look at that through this eight-week series, and we're calling the series When God Shows Up. You see, When God Shows Up is different than just spirituality. And we want to look at that. We want to ask the question, what happens when God shows up? And what we'll see when we look at the Word of God, both in the Old and the New Testament, is something, there's a pattern that emerges of what happens when God shows up, not just when people are spiritual. So I just want to start. A lot of new people here, if you've been with us, you've heard me tell this story many times. I want to tell you my story of when God showed up in my life. And He actually showed up Several times. He first showed up when my father was 22 years old, playing basketball at Emmanuel Bible Church, which is just about three quarters of a mile from here. And God showed up to my dad. My dad came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and raised me up in a Christian home. But then God showed up again in my life when I was in high school. I got a fresh vision of who he was, And he changed me in real powerful ways. And then in 2007, March 17th, 2007, St. Patrick's Day, God showed up again in my life. And this was 30 minutes after I got a phone call from my father that my older sister Kim had been killed in a bicycling accident. She was there. From the moment I picked up the phone and said, what's going on, to the next three words that she is dead. And 25 minutes after that, sitting in a back alley of a sports bar in Dallas, Texas, I cried out to God until I was exhausted. And I sat down with my back against a chain-link fence, and in that moment, God replaced all the hysteria with a serenity, a clear mind, a white vision, and he delivered to me a message from my sister and she asked me, please ask my friends to consider Jesus. That message delivered by God when he showed up in my life is the reason that we're sitting here today. The name of our church is Sideris, which is one of the Latin roots of the word consider. And that's our mission, helping the people of this city consider Jesus or reconsider him. God showed up in the very worst moment of my life and he changed everything. So when God shows up, what happens? That's what we'll be looking at over the next eight weeks. Now, let me say this to start up. God is omnipresent, meaning he is not bound by the limits of space and time. He can be anywhere at any time. But he is not everything. That's pantheism. He is not the ground but he is and can be anywhere at any time. So God can be anywhere, but in an equally real way, God is choosing in specific moments, in specific places, for specific people to show up in their lives for the fulfillment of his perfect plan for salvation for all of his creation, and especially for his people, the church. And so we should ask, what happens when God shows up? If this is how he operates, if he can be everywhere, but yet he chooses to be in certain places at certain times in specific ways for specific purposes, is there a pattern of how and why he does this? And does that give us a predictive quality to God showing up? And does it give us a diagnostic quality so that we might see when and where God has shown up in our own lives, and then ask for what reason. So it's a predictive quality. This, what we'll see is a pattern. We can say, this is how God does it. And then a diagnostic. We can ask, has God done this in my life? Uh, just a few weeks ago, a, a newcomer to Sederis, very boldly, I really appreciated it, Ask me the question within the first 30 seconds of of meeting this person, why should I come to your church? (laughs) You can ask that. Let's get to the point, okay? And man, I'm, wow, no one's ever just been so bold to ask me that, so I really appreciated it. And here's what came to my mind. I said, I think God shows up here. So if you want God to show up in your life, being a part of this community could be helpful. Why do I think this is? Should I think this? Is God really showing up here? I do think so, but I long for more and more of his presence in our community. How can we partner with God so that his purposes in showing up are fulfilled and maximized and they come to more and more of his kingdom in this city? In the parable of uh, the talents or the, bag of, the bags of gold, Jesus tells uh, those that he's speaking to, he says, if you are faithful with a small amount, God will give you even more to steward. And I think that's true of him showing up. If when he shows up in your life, you are faithful to steward that well in the small ways, he will keep showing up in bigger and more profound ways and use you you, you for his purposes. Do you want God to show up in your life? For those of you who call Sedaris home, do you want to show up, for God to show up in an increasing measure in our midst? Do you want that? Now let me pause here and say this up front. What we'll see when we read the revealed pattern of God, when we read this, what we will notice, and what what I want you to notice, is that God showing up is not primarily an emotional experience. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more lasting and penetrating than just an emotional experience. Maybe you come out of a church background. In which your emotions were manipulated, and so you're a little weary of when said when people say, well, "We want we want to see God show up in your life." Maybe you come out of that experience. I just want to, I want you to know that's not what we're talking about in this series. That is not what we're pushing for is an emotional experience. And I lament if that's your story that you felt like your emotions were preyed upon by maybe a pastor. And I apologize. what we will see is that God does show up in people's lives. He comes near to them. And while there may include an emotional response that is not essential nor primary, those are the surface level effects of God coming close. But God's purpose for coming close, for showing up in your life, is so much deeper than that. And I want you to hear it. I want you to see it in the text. And I want you to hear it in the stories that we share it is so much more profound and life-altering than mere emotion, okay? So what are those purposes? Why does he show up? Each week, we will look at an Old Testament account. That that is the Scripture, the the vast majority of Scripture, that is the people of God before Jesus the Messiah came 2,000 years ago. And then we will look at a gospel account or a New Testament account, which is the second part of the Bible, which is once Jesus showed up on the scene, okay? And then we'll ask the question, how does God show up today? Now, what I want, I'm just sort of, I'm kind of giving you the the map so you can follow with me. What you'll see, hopefully, each and every week is that the way God shows up is very Trinitarian, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see that? In the Old Testament, it's primarily understanding how God the Father showed up to the people of Israel. In the Gospels, it's primarily how God showed up in the Son, the person of Jesus. And then what we see in the book, book of Acts, you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which record Jesus' life, and then Acts and the Epistles, which are just letters written to the early church. What you see is that in that season, it's God showing up through the Spirit, And he sends his spirit on all people. And that's the age in which we live too. The age of the church. And God is showing up through his spirit. And it should be normative to this day that God shows up. And you know it. And it changes things. So three hopes that you see in this series. The same God that is at work in the Old Testament. The same God of the New Testament. Sometimes you will hear people say, or maybe you struggle with this when you read the Old Testament, these feel like two different gods, right? Some of of us are like, what's going on here? Maybe we should just get rid of the Old Testament and focus on the New Testament. Jesus seems like a much more loving God. Well, you have to look more closely at the Old Testament, and what you'll see is it's the same God. When he shows up, the same things happen as what happens when Jesus shows up in the New Testament. So that's the hope, number one, that God's character his heart for his people, his covenant promises and purposes are unchanging from beginning to end. And he has revealed himself to us through both the Old and the New Testament. And he continues to reveal himself to us through the Holy Spirit. You can trust him because he is unchanging. It's very hard to trust somebody who's always flip-flopping and changing. I want you to see in this. That's my, one of my hopes. It's the same God. You can trust him. Hope number two, that you understand God's nearness, his showing upness. And this nearness and him showing up is actually progressing and increasing as human history moves forward. Do you know that? That's really exciting. I think we tend to think like, man, it would have been great to live in a time when Jesus was there. The reason Jesus left is so that he could send the Spirit and show up to more people in more places at more times for more purposes to build his kingdom. So the, the, the God of the Bible is showing up even more today than he did 2000. Do you believe that? I think it's true. You might not feel it in Seattle, but it is happening. And you need to know that it's happening and pray for it to happen here in this city like it is throughout the rest of the world. Hope number three, that you would see God show up in your own life as well. That you wouldn't just read about how he showed up in the Old Testament saints or in the New Testament, but that you would see how he's showing up, has showed up, will show up, is showing up in real, tangible, transformative ways. And let me say this again, realizing that God showing up is so much more than just a spiritual experience. We oftentimes lump everything into this big category of spiritual but there are many spirits. There's only one God, and you need to know the difference so that you know when that God shows up in your life, because it's not the same as a spiritual experience. It is a spiritual experience, but it's so much more than that. I want you to help. You might have never experienced it, and so you just assume it's the same, It shouldn't be the same, and we have to ask, how do we participate in this? So let's pray. That's an intro to the series, and then we're going to get into our first text. You ready? Let's pray. Father God, come and be with us today. Open our eyes to your presence in our midst. God, we pray that we are a community that is quick to repent, that is honest that leads to freedom, so that you can be here in our midst, in our cohorts, in our conversations, in our worship. God, just release all of that thing that, that, that keeps you away, that keeps us from experiencing you. We want you to show up during this series. We want to show you to show up this morning. We want to show uh, you to show up in the lives of our friends that are here today for the very first time. God, show up. We want you to be a part of this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, are you, are you, you have your Bibles? We are going to be in the very first book of the Bible to start, Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, and we are going to read three passages about a man named Abraham. Turns out that wasn't his uh, birth name, and we're going to see how God changes his name, and, and it happens over time in, in these three passages that we'll look like. So the first passage we'll look at, Genesis 11, verse 31. Genesis 11, verse 31. Here we go. Terah, who was the great, 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 great grandson of Shem, who you all know. (laughs) Who's Shem? Shem is one of the three sons of Noah. We've heard about Noah. Great boat builder. Would have done well in Seattle. So, that's who Terah is. And it says this, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. So Abram and Sarah go with Abram's father. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, so we'll pause there. Notice, similar to my story, God is already speaking to Abram's father. So, so Abram didn't discover God or invent God. He, it was passed down to him. Look at verse 12, 1. Now that his father has died, what happens? The Lord, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when they departed from Haran. That's the first passage. God starts speaking to Abram in a very specific way, giving him specific purposes and giving him specific promises. And look at them. God says, you will be blessed by me if you listen to me and, and follow my commands. And when you are blessed, you will become a blessing. So important to hear that. Maybe one of the most important passages of all Scripture, that when God blesses you, it's not about you. He blesses you so that you might be a blessing to your neighbor, to the neighboring countries, to the whole world. So important to see. Now, flip here to Genesis 15. Again, God shows up in Abram's life. In Abram's life. Look down at verse 4. Chapter 15, verse 4. It says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That's Abram. This man, God said, and this man is speaking of a member of his household, a guy named Eliezer of Damascus. This man shall not be your heir. Abram's worried. He hasn't had any kids yet, and he's he's wondering, who's going to be my heir? You've told me I'm going to be a great family and a great nation. I do not have an heir, but this man who is not my son will be my heir. And God says, he will not, because your very own son shall be your heir. Verse 5 And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them at all. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him. So God counted it to Abram as righteousness. He believed this absurd promise of the Lord that your offspring will be as many as the stars. Wow. Even in the Old Testament, we have clear evidence that salvation was not by works of religion or following rules, but it was by true faith in the promises of God. The promises of God. And this this faith in this promise, this is not an easy believism. This isn't like easy to see how God's going to do this. Okay? Now, Abram didn't realize how many stars there were. We know that now. We just talked about that last week in our science series. But he could tell there was a lot, and he had no children. So to believe what God said here was an incredible act of faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness, meaning he was made right with God in relationship with God. Okay, so that's calling number two. Now, Flip over just one or two pages here to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Now we're going to see the promise increases and the promise is sealed by a few things. Okay? Look at this. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face in reverence, in awe, in worship. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. That's what, that's what Abraham means. For I have made you a father, the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. What a promise. What an unbelievable promise. And God was working Abraham up to that. But here are the elements. When God showed up, Abraham had new faith in the living God. New faith. Even more faith than his father had had. He has this new faith in the living God, which leads to new promises of new legacy and new land and both of those are very, as you can tell, future-oriented. And then what does he do? He gives him a new name. He, he says, no longer shall you be called this because I will call you this. And out of all of that comes this new family tree, an everlasting tree that, 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 that isn't just one nation, it's many nations. Nations and we can look back now and say nations of faith, people groups of faith, that all stem from Abraham, who had a faith in the promises of God. So you see, the first thing we can say, and the most important thing we can say, and we'll say it throughout this series, when God shows up, he doesn't just give you a nice spiritual experience, he doesn't just give you uh, feelies, he doesn't just even give you good gifts. He gives you something so much deeper. He gives you a new identity. You are no longer the same person. He gives you a new identity. And in Abraham's case, we see, there's so many parts of identity, but in Abraham's case, we really see identity tied with purpose. He gives Abraham a new purpose. When God shows up in Abraham's life, it leads to new identity with new purpose. That's so much deeper, isn't it, than just the spiritual experience. Now, turn with me, and we're going to look, is that God who showed up to Abraham the same God that showed up in the Gospels? And to do that, we're going to look at God showing up in the life of a man named Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, but he wasn't always a disciple. We just sort of assume he was born a disciple. No, he wasn't. What happened? What happened? God showed up. So turn with me to Matthew, which is the first of the four Gospels. You have to turn a ways here. You can use the table of contents if, if you need to to get there. But um, just to give you an idea, here's the... I have cheat sheets. Sorry, I didn't put them in all the Bibles. <laughs> but you can turn here. In the last quarter of the Bible, find Matthew. Four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the life and ministry of death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, okay? And what you'll see, and this is so cool, we'll see this as we read three stories about Peter, is that we see multiple names for him as well. We see him called Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah. We see him called Simon Peter. We see him called Simon. We see him called Peter, and we see him called Cephas, okay? And we'll see how God does a similar thing as he did with Abraham. Okay, pause again. Lots of pauses today. Let me preface this by this reading by just saying to you, uh, because maybe you're newer to the Christian faith or you didn't know this about the Christian faith, but the New Testament teaches us that the living God, the living God, whom the Israelites called Yahweh, who Abraham called Yahweh, is said to have taken on the form of humanity in the historical flesh and blood person of Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter of no political clout, of no financial meaningfulness at all, who came onto the scene for a few short years and had a public ministry and died on a Roman cross and apparently rose from the dead. How does the God of all creation come and put on flesh? Well, the New Testament teaches us that this happened by the supernatural impregnation of a teenage girl named Mary, just prior to her wedding, to a very godly man named Joseph, that the Spirit of God overshadowed her and she became pregnant with child without ever having sexual intercourse with a man. Whoa! God showed up. <laughs> okay. Showed up in Mary's life. And God said, Name your child Jesus, which means God saves. And this was said to be God's son born of the Virgin Mary. God of God and man of man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. If you didn't know that, you need to know that's what the New Testament claims about this Jesus. Not just that he was a good teacher, though he was. Not just that he was a cool cat. Very cool. So, if that's true then though, right, you would expect that, that if this Jesus was in fact the God that Abraham followed, if he's now that God in the flesh, that the same sort of things would happen to people when Jesus shows up in their life. You see it? We should expect that. Let's see if it happens. Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I might have told you chapter 5. Chapter 6. I'm gonna read the last the last calling. I'm going to go three calls. I'm going to read the last one first. Here it is. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and, and Peter at this point was one of them, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And he's talking about himself. Who do they say that I am? And they said to him, some say that you're John the Baptist, who was another prophet. Some say um, that you're uh, Elijah Others say that you're Jeremiah, another Old Testament, both Old Testament prophets. And some say that you're just one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that's what Peter means, rock. It's the Greek word for rock. It's the same word for Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Wow. But wait, it took Peter some time to get here. This wasn't the first time God showed up in Peter's life through Jesus. But even, we'll go back and read those in just a second. But even here, what do we see? The pattern. New faith in who this living God is, that it is in fact Jesus Leads to Jesus making new promises to Peter, giving him a new name, giving him a new legacy and a new family tree that would start from him, from his faith, and take over the whole world, including the very gates of hell. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So let's look at these other two accounts because I think they're important. I think they're important. John 1. John 1. John is the fourth gospel, so just flip a few pages or so over to John 1. If you're not there, you can just listen to me as well. Look at what happens the very first time Peter meets Jesus. We're starting here in verse 26. Sorry, verse 28. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing in the Jordan River. Here's the context. There was a cousin of Jesus named John who, who you probably know as John the Baptist. And he was going around preparing the way for one greater than him that would come. In fact, John says this very next thing in verse 29. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who, who ranks before me because he was before me. What's, he said, because he was God, eternal, come in the flesh. Jump down to verse 31. Sorry, 35. I got to put my glasses on. New glasses. Thanks for noticing. Okay. Sat on my other ones, broke them. <laughs> Turns out they don't give you free pairs if you sit on them. Okay, verse 35. So, so John sees Jesus, he says this of Jesus, he says the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist had disciples as well that would follow him and learn from him. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Okay? They followed Jesus. Jump to verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. What do you know about Andrew? You know a lot of people named Andrew, but you don't know much about Andrew. Who was Andrew? Simon Peter's brother. <laughs> he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, we brought him to, and he brought him, that's Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Pretty cool. What's cool about this? I, th- I think sometimes we think, oh man, I'll never be like my brother, I'll never be like my sister, I'll never be like my best friend. Peter's brother was the first to encounter Jesus. Yet Peter continued to grow in his faith and did extraordinary things for the kingdom of God, all because his brother Andrew invited him to see. We have, we have no idea. We, you might have invited somebody this morning who might become a great rock for the church of God. Not to scare you away if you're brand new. Maybe today's the first time you're hearing about this Jesus. Thanks to Andrew for not keeping this Jesus to himself, but sharing it with his brother, whom he loved. Fantastic. Okay, turn back now to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter four. So that's the fir- That seems to be now. Now some people would say, "Man, we have three contradicting accounts of how Peter met Jesus." Not true. It just means, like all of us, we meet Jesus several times throughout our life. God shows up in a number of ways. He did to Abraham. He does to Peter. And, and that's so important to remember. And each time God shows up, something different is happening. It's true for Peter as well. It's not a contradiction. It's just saying, yeah, it took some time before Peter became the Peter we know. And you read more and more about Peter, you realize it took quite some time. He had a lot of false starts, okay? So let's look at this second calling of Peter. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, says this, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were fishermen. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets. And followed Jesus. Here's how I think it happened. Andrew was following John the Baptist, saw what John the Baptist was saying about Jesus, listened to Jesus, said, This is the Christ, the Messiah, introduced him to Peter, or or introduced him to Peter. Peter meets Jesus, and then they say, You know what? We gotta go back to work on Monday. How are we gonna pay the bills? They're fishermen. They go back to their hometown and they fish, they leave Jesus behind. Jesus shows up again and he says, hey guys, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And this time they leave. And then we get to Matthew chapter 16 and Peter is the one Jesus says he's going to build his church upon. It's your faith, Peter, that I will build my new people upon. Wow. Fishermen become fishers of men. Fishermen Become fishers of men. We've said when God shows up, he will give you a new identity. And part of the new identity is new purpose. And this certainly is true of Peter. But look at how delicate and nuanced this repurposing is. He doesn't come in and say, everything up to this point's a waste. Instead, he takes your story, your skills, your culture, your failures, your successes, and he repurposes them for his perfect plan, for his kingdom, for his glory. You fishermen, I will make you fishers of men. I love that. This week, if you're on Instagram, <laughs> you saw I posted pictures of some new A-frame signs. Have you seen around? We talk about our signs a lot here because we're in a cosmic struggle with somebody who lives in Wallington that steals our signs. We've had over 10 signs stolen and they're not cheap, so I just said, you know what? <laughs> we're just going to start building our own. <laughs> okay, so I'm painting. I, I just decided to do it because it's going to be a great sermon illustration, <laughs> so I did it myself. But um, here's what happened. Pastor Ryan, each and every week, goes out and picks up those signs. Half of them are usually missing, so we put tile trackers on the back of our signs. So get the tile out and you'll help us find. And we go, and we find them, and lots of times they're thrown into dumpsters by people that don't seem to like Jesus very much. And if you're here, there's great forgiveness <laughs> at the foot of the cross. Your story is not over. So Ryan finds these, these signs that are now purposeless, They have no purpose. They are living in a dumpster, and they will be taken away to a a landfill, and they will never again have purpose. And Ryan finds them, and he brings them back, and now what we've done is we've cleaned them, because there's some gross stuff on them. We've cleaned them. And then what we did, me and my, my friend Jacqueline, we painted them with white primer, of fresh paint. They're made white. And then we repurposed them, and we gave them a new arrow and a new purpose, and now they point people to the living God available in the person of Jesus Christ. You see the congruity and the discongruity of these signs of these were once pointing people to new condos, (laughs) new apartments available so that people could find home in this city. Now, they're pointing people to a different kind of home, a home that's everlasting, a home that does not go away when you can't pay your mortgage, a home that you can be a part of for the rest of your life. You see the congruity? There are still signs pointing people places. You see it? They will always be signs. We cannot turn them into robots who set up and tear down on Sundays, though we would try. They will always be signs. That will be their job. That's what they do best. They stand in an (laughs) A-frame and point people places. The discongruity is they used to point people one way, now they point people somewhere else. This is the gospel story of your own life, too. When you are found living in a dumpster, the dumpster of purposelessness, have you ever thought about that? What is your purpose? If somebody just came up to you, or if we had coffee and said, Why do you exist? What's your purpose? what do you think 80% of the people in our city would say to that question? Had they ever thought of it? There was a time in my life I didn't think much about it. And then I started to think about it. What, what is my purpose? And I realized I was living in the dumpster of purposelessness. I was a sign pointing back at myself. But while we were still living in the dumpster, God showed up in the person of his son, Jesus, and he found you, he found you. He had a tracker on you, (laughs) he knows where you are, and he came and he found you, and he washed you clean. And he prepared you with a fresh, blameless coat, his own righteousness. He covered over your past, your sin, your rebellion, your selfishness, your cruelty. He put a fresh coat of paint and he repurposed you for an eternal life-giving mission. And this mission is, is honestly as simple as the mission of these sandwich signs. Your mission is to point people to the one person who owns and distributes everlasting life. That's your mission. Uh, You say, like, I thought my purpose would be maybe bigger than that. No, you're a sign with an arrow on it. The question is, where are you pointing? Which life are you pointing to? That's, That's what you are. That's how God made you. And it's a great privilege to get to point people to Jesus. You might be saying, well, that's not my story, Dave. I haven't been found. I haven't been washed. I haven't been made blameless. I haven't been repurposed. And I'd say, maybe not yet. (laughs) Maybe not yet. But all the prerequisites are in place. Literally nothing else needs to happen. Jesus has already paid the price for you on the cross There's nothing you need to do to work to get there. It's already paid. Your release from the dumpster is paid for in full. Jesus has given you his cleansing blood to be washed white as snow. That's already happened. You just need to decide if you want new identity and new purpose, because that's what he's offering. But that's your part. You do have to accept new identity and new purpose. That's your only part of this whole cosmic process. It was the same for Abraham. It was the same for Peter. It was the same for me. It's the same for you. God decides how and when he will show up in your life. God finds you. God rescues you. God has the power and the plan to repurpose you for amazing, God-glorifying mission, but you must consent to the makeover. And there we have the predictive beauty of the Old and the New Testament. When God shows up, it always happens this way. If you consent to have new faith in Jesus as God's son and your savior, you can expect to find deep transformation into a whole new identity with a whole new purpose. Like Abraham and Simon, God will make you new promises of a lasting legacy. Like Abraham and like Simon, God will give you a new name rooted in who you actually are as He actually sees you. You may remain an accountant. You may remain a teacher. Remain a banker. Remain an actress. In fact, that is 99% of you will remain doing what you've been doing just like Peter. But that won't be the first thing you're known for. You see that? Now... You're known by who you're identifying with. You are a Christian accountant. Now that doesn't mean you only do accounting for churches <laughs> or accounting for Christians. It just means people see you say, Oh, this is my Christian friend who happens to be an accountant. This is my this is, I'm a Christian educator. I'm a Christian pastor. Turns out you can be <laughs> a pastor and not be a Christian. Watch out for those people. Are they truly identifying in Christ, his humility? his meekness, his mission, or are these pastors identifying in themselves their success, their wealth, their audience? So you see, you want to follow, not follow, you want to come to a church where there's a Christian pastor. God will give you a new name, and it will be rooted in your new identity. And just like Abraham and Peter, once they had their new names, God will start a new family tree from your spiritual rebirth. You will have new children in the faith, whether you have biological children or not, you will have children in the faith who come to life in Christ because of the foundation that you are laying this very moment. By coming and hearing the word of God preached on October 6th, 2019, you're building up a foundation of which a family tree will be birthed. And many people will come to know Jesus because of you, and many will be blessed in the world because you are blessed by God. That's the promise. That's the predictive beauty that we see again and again when God shows up. But in addition to this predictive power, there is also the diagnostic power of the Old and the New Testament. And this is why we turn to the Scriptures. What is it like when God shows up? And then we ask, has he shown up in my life? Diagnostic. If you consider yourself to be a Christian today, but you do not have a new identity that's rooted in Jesus, if that is not central to who you are, if you do not have a new purpose, if you continue to point people to the same old things, the same old forms of life, and you don't point them to the life in Jesus, and you don't experience new promises from God, you don't believe them to be true, and you don't, or you're not known by your new name, and you don't see any fruit of new, disciple, new discipleship, you don't see any signs of a family tree, a spiritual family tree coming, I think you need to ask a hard, a brutally hard question, why? If this is what happens when God shows up, why aren't these things happening in my life? Is it because, there's two options. Is it because you don't have new faith in Jesus? Real, lasting faith that he is the son of the living God, that he died for your sin, that he rose again on the third day, and he is living now, ruling and reigning from heaven on high. If you don't have that kind of faith, you can ask God to give it to you. Show up again, God. I missed it the first time. I missed it the second time. I missed it the third time. Help me to see, restore, or revive my faith and trust in Jesus. You can pray that today. The second option is that perhaps you have met God, you do believe, but you are stubborn and you're rejecting this new identity. You're saying, I believe it, I'm glad it happened, but I don't want that to be my identity. My identity is something else. Abraham could have said no thanks. He could have seen the stars and been like, yeah, that seems like a lot of work. (laughs) I've got two kids, that's a lot of work. Peter could have said, yeah, but the catch is good this year. About to get that new place down the road, new boat, about to double my fleet. I don't know. You see, we have a choice. Do we want our identity to be changed? When God shows up, he will give you a new identity, and he will repurpose you for his good and perfect plan. And my friends, When he shows up in your life and he offers you this, take it. Take it. It might be scary, uncertain. It might seem like those promises are way down the road, maybe not even in your lifetime. Take it. What do you think Abraham would say to you? Does he wish he hadn't taken on new identity and new purpose? What do you think Peter would say? Take it. It is so good. God is so good. He is giving you a gift. Take his gift. Let's pray. Father God, why in the world do you care about us? Why do you keep showing up in our lives? Why don't you just give us one chance and say, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't understand why you come and you find us in the dumpster. I don't understand why you keep giving me opportunities to accept Jesus Christ as my new identity and my new purpose. (sighs) But I thank you. I thank you that you do not grow weary of kindness, that you do not grow weary of grace and mercy, that you do not grow weary of my failure God help me shed any old identity that is not of you and put on the fullness of the identity given to me in Christ by his death and resurrection we pray these things I pray for my friends I pray God that this year would be a year of harvest knowing that you are at work in our lives and seeing that goodness as blessing so that we might bless others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.